This is Sad My connection to Modi and DCDBC actually dates back to college. It was 2010 or 2011, not definitely 2010, when I was talking to my now line sister Maureen. I was asking her about these stickers I'd seen all over Boston. The logo displayed DC on the left with what looked like Boston College's logo on the right. The stickers were on laptops, book bags, honestly, all over campus, and even all over the city for that matter. I needed to be in the know. She told me about her friend Modi, and that was the first time I was truly hip to the DC to BC movement. Fast forward to 2016, eight years later after DC to BC was started. Modi, the other co-founders Quinn and Marcel, and an entire team not only provide an annual music festival for over 9,000 people, they also create so many different authentic experiences that truly impact the culture in a variety of ways. Hi, I'm Alexis, and welcome to The First Year Project, a podcast highlighting the good, the bad, and the integral aspects of the first year experience. Stay tuned. of all things cool and co-founder of the hip-hop infused brand dc to bc modi is co-creator and co-founder of trilectro a really dope electronic hip-hop festival based in dc listen as we talk about his first year experience co-creating these brands the special sauce to creating such authentically dope experiences and what the group has cooking up for us So how are you doing today, Modi? I'm pretty good. <laughs> Happy to be here. You know, thanks for stopping by. Very dub, of course. Thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Of course. You know, you reached out, holding down Boston. I had the support. Nice. So uh, I've kind of given you an intro and told the people a little bit about what you do, but how would you describe what you do and why you do it? Man, that's a great question. I mean... I look at myself kind of like a doer, a producer. Um, I remember somebody once said community organizer. Mm. Kind of just, you know, I don't really think I've got like a strong, hard skill set, you know? I think my skill is kind of just bringing people together um, and, and figuring out ways to get ideas done, whatever that means. So I love music, um, and it kind of took me from selling burn CDs to people in middle school to producing a music festival, you know? Um, 29 years old right now. Uh, and I started kind of this journey in uh, this this industry. I don't even know, you know, where I fit in for real, but I think it started around, you know, when I was interning at Def Jam is when I really started to say, okay, this is, you know, kind of the place I want to be in in some way, shape, or form. And, um, I don't really know why I do it. I think I've always just loved to share experiences and connect with people. And I think, you know, what I do now kind of allows me to do that. And I think I kind of have the best of both worlds because I have my nine to five where I learn uh, more of the marketing, advertising and communications aspect of, of kind of, you know, that world. And then I also have my passion project, which happens to be something viable that I work on with my friends, my teammates, my business partners, 
Port, they're all the same people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like I'm in the music industry, but I'm I'm not. Um, I think I used to be kind of more in the forefront, but now getting older and just kind of understanding that, like, I'm not a star. I'm not trying to be a star. I'm really just trying to make dope things happen, put my city on, my friends, and, and music that I think is dope on. You know? Very dope. Speaking of your city, uh, like what was your community and like family upbringing like, and how do you feel like that's influenced the work that you do today? Um, well, I'm, I'm Nigerian American, first generation, uh, so I grew up in a household pretty international. My parents grew up in, in Nigeria, um, and I also spent some of their, their youth um, in the UK, like London, surrounding areas. My, my mom went to school there, um, my dad lived there for a bit. Uh, my dad did grad school at University of Maryland, so that's kind of when we, you know, I was like 84, so wow. I was born in 86, so um, that's kind of when they came into the U.S., so that's about 30, 30 so years ago. And, I mean, you know, pretty family-oriented, close to my family to an extent, not super lovey-dovey, but, you know, we we uh, definitely speak on, on a regular basis, and, and, you know, I'm cool with my cousins. We have kind of big families, both sides. Um, I go back to Nigeria, you know, every few years. That's dope. Yeah, my parents work for the World Bank, so um, that allows us to travel, or at least when I was younger. I think up to 26, I was allowed to go back there every year or every other year without paying. Now it's like, it's a hefty check. So Wait, yeah. why do you have to pay? It's just an incentive for people that, you know, they hire from international or from abroad, rather. You know, D.C. public schools aren't the best, so... Um, one, one incentive was that they were able to send you to private school and pay oh, the tuition. Okay. Another one is called home leave, so they allow you if from abroad to go back home mm-hmm. once a year and bring your family. So that was just one of the, the things that allowed me to kind of see the world. Because every time we went to Nigeria, we'd also we didn't go to Nigeria one year we take a trip. So I've been, you know, at a young age, I went to London, Paris, Portugal. Um, you know, all over Europe, been to a few countries in Africa. Um, and I think just seeing the world at a young age and understanding that there was more out there and that there's different cultures and figuring out ways to connect with that. I mean, I was always interested in, in traveling and meeting new people. And my dad and both my parents are pretty outgoing. You know, they're funny people. So I kind of adapted that. And I think it helped me navigate um, navigate to kind of get where I am. Yeah. You know, I network naturally. It's, it's not like I don't do it. To connect. Like, I don't do it because I think there's something to gain. I do it because I literally want to connect with somebody to see who they are. You never know who you're talking to. You never know what commonalities, if that's even a word, that you find um, talking to somebody. So, Absolutely. Speaking of your family, I know that you have come from a family that was also... Uh super like into music and different type of music like who were some of the artists that you would say that you like grew up on uh man that's a good question i mean my dad listened to a bunch of music in the, in the living room when, when i was a kid and i used to come down there and play some of his records or tapes or cds whatever the medium was mm-hmm. at the time. yeah um but like stevie one there was a big fan of very him. michael jackson of course um really liked king sunny a day and uh, Fella, those are some Nigerian influences that I had when I was younger. Uh, my dad played a lot of Zouk. I wasn't a big Zouk fan. Okay. Uh, that was that was in my house. Um, a lot of international stuff. Really, whatever was you know. As I said, my parents worked for the World Bank, so they're pretty international, pretty well traveled. Um, so really, whatever was was 
they picked up from their travels or their friends put them on. I was listening to in the house. From a, a Nigerian household, like so, I am from a Caribbean family, um, and I have friends who are Nigerian too. Did you ever feel like pressure from your family to go in a certain direction, like career wise? Like, was that ever a thing at all? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think uh, I just kind of was always defiant. Like, I was, I would say, I used to think I was, but the way they <laughs> made me out to be, I thought I was the bad child. Mm. Uh, my brother is kind of more. He, he took the more traditional path and he's got a nine to five in New York working for a startup doing really dope things. And he's, you know, younger than me. And when I graduated from college, I didn't have a nine to five right away. I kind of floated and, and I, you know, the music industry is a place where a lot of Nigerians like don't end up with a lot of, I think West Africans or maybe just international people because their families aren't that supportive of that. They want you to be a doctor or a lawyer. My parents were pretty, you know, I think if they, I think if I had better grades, they probably would be down for <laughs> whatever. But I didn't have the best grades. I got into a cool school. I kind of coasted through there, and I think you know maybe they weren't too thrilled about the direction I was going because they weren't able to see what I was working on. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something tangible. It wasn't something they were familiar with. And I think a lot of Nigerians. I mean, I, I remember you know having plenty of convos with my dad. Um, him saying, well, you know, this person's son is, you know, doing residency in, you know, at medical school and this person's a lawyer and this person, you know, works on, you know, on the Hill or this person uh, works at Goldman Sachs. And like, I never was interested in that path. It just wasn't for me. I have plenty of friends that do that. And I've seen like, you know, some of them love it, some of them don't. I think everyone's got their passion and this was just mine. And, you know, at a young age, I was always kind of into it. So, it only makes sense that I ended up where I am. And I, I remember they coming, you know, my dad making it to the second Intellectual Music Festival and seeing it. And he was finally like, oh, I get it. You know, that's dope. And, and that's kind of like what I worked. I worked hard for. And it, I won't say it didn't put a chip on my shoulder. Like I wanted to make sure they knew that we were working towards something that all this work and, you know, being up late and being out wasn't just doing it to do it. It was kind of like, you know, going towards something. And now they're, you know, some of my biggest supporters. So. Um, shout out to them. You know, I'm, I'm happy they, they kind of instilled that work ethic in me at a young age. And like, I, you know, I did all the academic camps and, you know, I, I, you know, I know that world, but I just wasn't trying to go that path. So luckily I was able to figure it out. That's awesome. So speaking of Trilectro, like I really want you to take us back all the way back to like DC to BC, you know, starting from the radio station. So how did this idea start? Uh, well, DC to BC started uh, because I, I'm from the DC metropolitan area, as is my friend Quinn Coleman. We actually went to the same elementary, middle, and high school and college. So when he came on his Boston College visit, he was choosing between I think BC and University of Miami, where his his uh, god brother Nick Simmons, who's another friend of mine, he goes there. He went there. So it was between the two schools. I guess we showed him a better time. <laughs> so he ended up coming to BC. And when he got to school, he was like, yo, I want to start this radio show. Just, you know, putting it on your radar. I want you to co-host it with me. With me. Because he knew I love music. His mom, you know, grew up in the, or is in the music industry or entertainment industry, rather. He's a big music head himself. And that's kind of how we bonded. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we always had that love that we shared music and he took it to that level where he was like, yo, I want to get on the radio. 
I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, all right, cool. You know, I'm not too thrilled about, you know, hearing my voice on the air, but whatever. And eventually, you know, I think he had to do an internship for uh, a semester. And then when he did that, he was able to get his own show. We started the show probably like a week into the second semester. This is on BC's campus, like BC Radio. Yeah, it was uh, WZBC. DC to BC, the radio station was also where you featured J. Cole, like one of the first to feature J. Cole, correct? Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. We were, so my, so this is how it happened. My man, Aristotle, he was an intern when I was interning at Def Jam, but the way he walked around the um, the building and the way he was just communicating with, with everybody in there, I thought he was employed. Like he was kind of like so official with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he went to St. John's and Cole went to St. John's. Um, and I guess they linked there that, you know, um, I don't know when, but he, he was, I think, Cole's first manager, and um, I don't I don't even rem- remember times, but I do remember, you know, Eris had an empty room in his house, so I ended up living with him, and that's kind of like a lot of a lot of the relationships I made happened when I was living on Eris's in Eris's apartment. Um, one of the things that he did is put me on Cole. You know, mm-hmm. he was the dude that was like, "Yo, this dude's about to blow. Trust me." And I was like, "All right." He gave me the tape before anybody else, and I, I'm pretty sure. I was the first person to ever blog that that tape. And this is two thousand and what? Yeah, I don't really remember to be honest, but it was it was uh, probably 09, 2010. So before he had really done it in terms it was of the like first thing he had touring, first thing. That's crazy. So I actually the first time I ever heard of J Cole. Um, my friends and I, maybe my junior year of college at BU, we were uh, going to. That, uh, Yale has this like a black, not black family weekend, but they, they have like a black weekend is, is what I will call it. That's not the name, yeah. but they have we like had, a black we weekend. Had a black weekend. Yeah, you all had a black family weekend. <laughs> yeah. I actually went to that and I didn't apply to BC. I just I just knew it was a good time. Yeah, so yeah, I went there for my 18th birthday. Campus. It was, it was a, it's a party. It's lit. <laughs> um, the party though that I went, I went to at Yale, it was like a whole weekend thing and then J. Cole happened to be performing. And I was like, oh, like he's dope. Shoot. Because he came to our school. This was like, this was like two, if I was like a sophomore or junior, this was probably 2010, 2011. Yep, yep. He did a bunch of college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had like a college tour. And after he performed, this is like after the whole like us, like Saturday night concert or whatever, um, we were all getting pizza on this like pizza shop, like right near um, Yale. Uh Uh-huh. And he like walks in, he's like getting pizza. We're like, oh, like he performed. Like the most genuine, the most down to earth. Like like he was there to get pizza. Like not to be on his cool shit. Like he didn't come with the whole crew or whatever the case was. It was just really, really dope. Cause I I had never, I guess, seen an artist uh, in that light. Yeah. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. I think he's like that that new wave. I mean, I think he went platinum not long ago. Mm -hmm. He didn't have any features on his album. Yes. For a cell drive. And like, He's just that new that new type of artist. So I respect him. He's a he's a dope dude. Like I run into him every once in a while. Him and his manager, Eve, they're really cool. Um, they got a really cool movement. Dreamville is crazy. You know, it's crazy to see the progress. He used to email me stuff to get on blogs and now like, you know, he's he glowed up. So it's really just dope to see that. So that's so interesting to me. So was there like a, a strategy like, okay, we're gonna do it this way? 
and we're going to, I guess, get these types of artists. Like, like, were there? I'm, I'm trying to understand nah, like, the process. No strategy, really. I mean, I like I like when I was a kid, I used to be on AIM and I used to send people music, just straight file transfer. I used to be on Napster, Kaza, mm-hmm. LimeWire, whatever was whatever I could get. Good on Good old LimeWire. You know? Oh my god. And that is kind of how I connected. That's how I used to, I used to just send people music without any action. I was just like, yo, you need to hear the songs. Yeah. And like, that's kind of just been my MO always. Like, I just like to share what I think is dope, not for any reason. Like, I didn't even know you can make money off this until we started blogging and seeing traffic spikes and monetizing because ad networks would reach out. Like, I didn't know that was an option. We did it because we loved it. That's so. Like, there's never been a real plan except to keep ourselves involved in this space so mm-hmm. you know honestly it, it hasn't really been well thought out or planned at least consciously you know just kind of happening organic development is is really beautiful too though because clearly yeah. you guys are doing several things correct for sure i mean I, I think we're doing a solid job and i i really appreciate just anybody that's ever like took taking the time to to, to listen to <laughs> anything I have to say, mm-hmm. whether it be in person or, or on the internet. Like it's really dope to to have people kind of become your brand evangelist and spread the word because they believe in you. Very and true. you know, I never really did it for anything but to to put other people on. Um and you know, obviously there's a, there's a, there's an ego aspect that gets involved when you start to really get attention, even if it's on a small scale. Like I, I can only imagine what a what an artist feels like when everybody's tweeting their name every you know second. Um, when we got attention, I kind of felt like, oh yeah, this is dope. Like I'm, I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. But you know, older I get, the more I realize like it's not really about me at all. I'm just like the conduit. I'm just the connector. And like I'm happy with that role. I don't need any spotlight because I'm not. <laughs> I'm not out here for that. I just want to keep it low key and, and, and keep uh, providing cool experiences for people, whether it be. Um, well, honestly, music is my is my passion. So, so musical uh, centric experiences, if you will. Very dope. Now, how did the blog transition into what we now know as Trilectro? So the blog, um, the radio show was called DC to BC. Mm-hmm. The blog was called DC to BC. It's kind of just one big project. And I actually graduated. I went to New York for a year. That's when I was sleeping at Eris's crib. Um, and I was interning at Complex Magazine like three days a week, working like a, some social media job. The other two just trying to pay rent. Uh-huh. Um, and I you know, learned a lot. I met a lot of people while I was there, but eventually I came home. Uh, home as in DC yeah and Quinn was still in college he's two years younger than me so he was still in college so after I moved home I started working for this agency in Northern Virginia and I really hated the job but you know my parents were kind of pressuring me to get a a gig because I was kind of working for free and just trying to figure it out yeah I was also promoting parties uh, downtown in DC with this collective called Rock Creek Social Club Uh, it was me this dude Scooty this dude Jerome Baker III and uh, my homie Lamine and Sonia, five of us. Jerome brought us together. He worked at Commonwealth, which is this boutique boutique store down in DC. And that kind of was like how I started getting involved with events and parties and stuff like that. Because I never thought I would be the promoter dude, but I ended up being that guy. Mm-hmm. And we had a really cool party. It was kind of like the alternative, like Tuesday night, 
Um, you know, when the artists, the, the creatives come out, that's kind of the party that we supply DC with and it started to blow up. Um, and then Quinn graduated and I think he started DJing that party because he DJed. He started DJing in college and became like that college DJ dude. And when he graduated, he started throwing, you know, doing that party with us. And, um, you know, Marcel, who's my college roommate, Quinn and I, we all kind of said, yo, like we have this audience that we kind of haven't really capitalized off. Let's do something with them. Like, let's do some stuff. Let's bring these people that we that have been following us for the past, you know, two years. Let's do some stuff with them. So we started throwing parties, um, just like functions right there. They weren't really like parties, not at the club. They were just like house parties mm-hmm. or barbecues open to the public. Whoever really rocked with our movement, we just kind of put the address out there and people would show up. And the first one we did, like we had so many people out, so many different types of people from all walks of life. And we realized that we had something, you know. So um, I stepped away from Rock Creek Social Club and focused on building that DC to BC brand kind of beyond just the blog and radio show because that fizzled out at some point. Um, and we started to, you know, plan our first event. And I, I remember I was still blogging on, you know, not as frequently, but anytime I thought anybody was worthy of speaking about, I'd speak about them. So I remember writing an article that said, why isn't Drake super famous by now? Because I just, I, you know, I've been following his career since Jump. What mixtape was this? Um, Room for Improvement. Uh, my homie actually, Bushra, produced uh, two tracks on there. Uh, and I used to sleep at his studio in D.C. and just, like, learn from him. Because I used to produce and mess with, with that stuff. Oh, that's dope. So that's, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I was, like, the project manager dude. Drake would call my phone and be like, yo, I need some more beats. So I would literally talk to Drake on MSN because he's from Canada, uh-huh. he didn't have AIM, and he called my phone and, you know, I'd send the beats on a regular basis. And so I already was familiar with his brand and how tight he was. That's you know? crazy. It's crazy. Like, <laughs> I really think that I'm just in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. So I already knew he was dope. So I wrote this article, like, why he's super famous. And like two months later, he started to blow, like really, really blow, drop these singles. And then eventually that, that was, uh, what, what's that mixtape? I forgot the one that really blew him up. Uh, the one where he's like the bottles or this like a like a tower of people. I don't so know. far gone. Yeah, that joint. So <laughs> one of my favorite ones was when he has like the peacoat and it's like fall behind him. Is it has the Anita Baker season, cover? Maybe? I don't remember. I think it is maybe come back season. Yeah, he, he had a really um, you know like I always thought he was dope. I remember writing an article about him and he blew up two weeks, two months later. Yeah, wrote an article about Kendrick. I said Kendrick Lamar is the future, and I gave like five reasons. My homegirl on the Kiba, she had him on his on her her Tumblr, and I heard a song, and I was like, "This is amazing!" So I dug deep, found his catalog, started writing about him. His camp got word of that, um, and they followed us on social. Mm-hmm. I actually saw them when they came to DC on like a random tour that they, you know, no one knew who they were, but I was a fan, so I was like in the front row. I had a DC to be sticker on my on my chest because yeah. I was kind of faded, and I was just trying to get their attention. And, you know, schoolboy saw me. He was like, yo, I remember the article you wrote about us. He took the sticker, put it on his, on his chest and performed with it. And then afterwards. That's crazy. crazy. And then afterwards, I went backstage and talked to him. I was like, yo, like, I'm trying to bring y'all to D.C. Just let me know. And, you know, it took about probably six months of conversation. But eventually we made that happen. We, we brought them to this historic venue in D.C. called the 930 Club. Um, and we sold that out in like two, two weeks. Uh, this was, you know, Section 80, Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. And habits and contradictions, schoolboy Q, like early. 
They weren't signed. They weren't like superstars, but their music was dope. So this is before Top Dog Entertainment, or they were already no, nah, they've with always them? been on Top Dog yeah. since Jump. Um, but they just weren't. They weren't signed to like uh, was it yeah, Interscope? There was, there was no major connection. Yeah. They were just independent artists with the and, and the label was independent. But mm-hmm. you know that's when we got their attention, um, and we you know we did that concert. We made a lot of money, and we were like, yo, we can do this. So we started focusing on building our brand and uh, focusing on, on throwing more events. Um, and then we went to Coachella in 2012. So that was 2011. And April, I think, or May, April 2012, we, we went to Coachella with like 30 people, so many people, all different types of people. Uh, we camped out there. It was really an experience. Like we just had to embrace everything that was Coachella. And those three days changed our lives. You know, it was like just seeing how awesome um, music was or is rather mm-hmm. how it could bring people together and we took uh, you know we I remember coming back uh, and, and huddling in Quinn's uh, kitchen and we were all talking about how crazy the experiences was and I, I don't know who came up with the name for us I, I always claim it but I really don't know if I said it <laughs> but we came up with the name Trelectro just in that you know we were like yo we gotta do something for our city mm-hmm. just with our twist on it Came with Electro. The concept was kind of like bridging the gap between the trill, which is the, the hip hop, and the electronic, which is the electro. So Electro, we came up with that name, and then once we came up with that name, we literally started whipping out pens and pads and laptops and started figuring out how to make it happen. And you know, about three months or four months later, that August, almost I think a year to the date that we did our first show with Kendrick, we had our first Electro. So that's how, that's kind of how it happened. So I have I have two two questions now. So one was something that I was thinking of earlier. You being in the right place at the right time, like I feel like it can't just be that. I mean, I think it's just fate. It's supposed to happen. Like if I'm here, I got I live in LA now. I never thought I'd live in LA, but I'm here. Why not? I just never I just didn't even look at it as an option. Like Marcel and Quinn moved here three years ago. I went to Portland because I didn't want to be like all the way in the game, you know. I kind of liked the, the the two worlds having our festival be like where I can experience the industry and then having uh, a life outside of that. You know, okay. I didn't really want to combine the two, and I also wanted to keep on learning from other people. So I got a, a job offer at Nike, um, and I went out there for two and a half years. And it wasn't until I realized that like I really wanted to be closer to this stuff um, that I took this job with Red Bull that I have now working in music and culture. And I moved here, what, a month and four days ago, you know? And now I'm living, you know, you're in my apartment in Los Angeles and I'm about to go to a listening session, like, live this life that I never thought I would really live, you know? Are you nervous about that? Like, being, like, L.A.? I love L.A. I've lived here before for a few years. But are you, do you have any reservations about, I guess, being more at the forefront of of the industry and that life fully? Yeah, I mean, I think... um, you know, LA is a pretty intense place. Like in these these last four weeks, I've seen a lot. I understand like how people can get lost out here and how intense it is and how superficial it can be. Um, I think it's just about being grounded and, and keeping good people around you. You know, I got to really, like my friends are like my brothers. They're beyond, you know, friends at this point. We also are business partners. So in order to keep that going, at this rate, I think we're doing a solid job and we can definitely do better. I think we're going to like 
because all of us also have jobs. Like, yeah. You know, if we jumped into the and, and took the leap, which is you know definitely an option, um, I think we could be light years ahead. And I don't know. I think we're just in, a, in, a, in an interesting place right now, but we're level headed. We're grounded. And we're just trying to figure out the next move. You know, we started throwing shows out here. We have a show tomorrow in New York and D.C. the same day. You know, we're just trying to get these these multiple revenue streams and, and get our our uh, brand kind of exposed in, in, in these different markets so we can really take this stuff to the next level. I mean, there's a lot of people that are, are doing similar stuff that we look up to, that we look at kind of like our contemporaries. We want to be, at the end of the day, we want to leave our mark in this game. We mm-hmm. want to be people that, you know, everybody looks at back at and be like, damn, they really, you know, put the stamp um, on the culture with, with this project or with, you know, with their movement. So I guess to answer your question, I'm not really scared. <laughs> I think whatever we want to do, we can do. We just got to stay focused and, and on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, what was one of the biggest uh, challenges the first year you all put on Chacho? So you all know you want to do it, right? You're trying to put everything together. What was one of the biggest challenges for you guys? Um, really just figuring out how to how to do it. Because we didn't really know what we were doing. You just had to go through it. You know, you just had to do a lot of trial and error. Reach out to agents, artists, managers, however you got it done. You know, after four years, we know proper etiquette. We know the jargon. We know how to negotiate. We know how to, you know, produce an event from an idea to actually executing. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff was stuff we didn't really know. So I think that was probably the biggest hurdle. But outside of that, I mean, every entrepreneur has has all types of issues that come up. It's like you can't even describe them. You know, it's just so many things that you just have to power through and figure out. Um, I hate to quote Nike and sound cheesy, but it's really about just doing it. You know, mm-hmm. like, there's not really any way to get around it. You just have to figure it out. And that just means be resourceful. Talk to those you know. Lean on people. Ask questions. Don't be afraid to fail. Because at the end of the day, like, you're either going to learn something or you're going to be successful with it. And, you know, we've been at it for, I guess, eight years now. That's crazy. And we're still here. We're still relevant. We are always learning. We're, you know, making a lot of new uh, connections and, and partnering with new types of people. Uh, expanding the team. I mean, it's it's not just the three of us. We got people in D.C., people in New York, um, people in L.A., plenty of photographers, videographers, all types of people that we work with. Um, shout out to them. I mean, you know, so many people that, that have helped us get to where we are. Um, and it's, you know, it's never really been about the money. Like I said, we started, started in this game really just to share our love for and appreciation for music. And it's gotten us this far by kind of just being genuine and authentic, so. Very dope. What would you say are the ingredients for creating these, like, consistently authentic experiences? What's the secret sauce? Man, the secret sauce, honestly, I think is just following your heart and and figuring out, you know, the right balance of everything. I mean, we're a team. I focus on like kind of being the face and, and talking to people. And, you know, because I was the most out there with the blog and everything, and I was kind of on the internet, people knew me. I built this kind of reputation and, and network. So a lot of times people associate the brand with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to, you know, take it for what it is and use that to my advantage. So if I know people, um, if it's me that can 
get an email open because my name's on it, then I'm gonna do it. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of like the network guy, the person that's out there. Quinn does a lot of that as well, but he also, you know, he's a DJ. He used to work for Sirius XM programming, yeah, electronic station. So he knows uh, the spectrum of all different types of, of sound and music. Uh, so he handles a lot of the booking, and now he works at Warner Brothers as an A and R. You know, um, climbed up from from the marketing gig, so he knows a bit in the marketing side, and now he knows A and R. So he's got these relationships with plenty of artists, producers. He can help us kind of navigate and, and understand what's next, so we can stay on the forefront. And then Marcel, I mean, he's a jack of all trades. Like he was an econ major in school. He was my my roommate in college, and we met each other actually in D.C. because he went to Gonzaga, and I went to Sidwell. His girlfriend at the time was like, yo, my boyfriend is going to, to, to BC. And I was like, yo, I just want to be his roommate. Like, I don't need to know anything about him. I just want to be with somebody from DC or from that area. That's crazy. So was that just because of how BC is in terms of you're in Boston? I didn't want to take any risk, like being on a whack ass <laughs> uh, side of campus yeah. on a whack dorm. I really wanted to be on the main campus because there was like a for freshmen they had another campus that's and true if we were to room together and we suggested to live in the multicultural housing which mm-hmm. is kind of just where I wanted to be knowing that BC wasn't a super diverse uh, campus campus you know I, I knew it would guarantee us uh, that and it, you know what is it years later like we're working together yeah friends, like that's my bro um, so yeah I think He's, you know, he's the finance dude. He's a graphic designer. He's, you know, kind of pushing, pushing the or driving the the merch that project that we're working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he does a lot. And honestly, when we Quinn and I were both employed, um, he was carrying a lot of the weight. So he was kind of forced to, to be in this position where he had to learn how to graphic design, how to do this, how to do that. Um, you know, my partner Greenwood, he's kind of like. Under brain, I look at Marcel as a brain. Greenwood's a brain as well. Um, you know, he's he can do anything. He can produce events. He loves everything. Right now, he's texting me about the Snapchat <laughs> and how we're gonna kind of strategize. Um, my man Duran, he's uh, you know a, a Morehouse student who's about to actually intern for Quinn, but he used to intern for us on Trilet Show. Mm-hmm. He ran into me in a cafe in, in a Starbucks in D.C. Him and his mom. He, he had been emailing me and I had dropped the ball. I didn't respond to him. He was with his mom and ran up on me. It was like, yo, I want to enter for Trilectro. And now he's a superstar. He has his own agency um, called White Space at, on Morehouse's campus. Like, he's a star. And, like, he's young. He's 20. He knows the culture. Well, he's 21, actually, I think, as of a few days ago. Mm-hmm. But he knows the culture. He's, you know, on college campuses, in these parties that, like, a 29-year-old can't, can't do. So he's got his ear to the street. My homie Stevie... He like Vanessa. He knows everybody. He went to Howard for a bit and got a crazy network and is super well connected in the in the in the city, you know. So uh, our Wale event today, he was kind of driving it along with uh, one of our photographers. Now I guess you can call it whatever you want to because she can do much more than take pictures. She drove this project with Wale today on the ground because nobody was there. Um, Heather and Aha, they take photos and they they handle all of our media. For the festival, like we have a, a team, we're like a family, and everybody kind of plays their part. And I'm just surprised that they're all kind of still with us, you know, like still rocking. How do you how do you do all of this work? How do you essentially like kind of manage these folks also while working? A lot of delegation and just like really good partners. Like I I think 
when I lived in Blue because work was crazy and they weren't really fond of me having an outside kind of passion project to work on. So mm-hmm. honestly, I think I'd say Marcel Quinn and, and Greenwood stepped it up and kind of uh, took the reins and, and drove a lot of the project where I just try to figure out my life in Portland, you know, and working from abroad. I mean, Greenwood was living in D.C., Marcel and Quinn in, in L.A. I was in Portland. It was kind of uh, an interesting time. But, you know, I think it's just about making the time, having those Sunday conference calls. I mean, we have a group group chat that, that pops every five minutes. You know, there's always a question to ask, always something to be done. And it's just like, that's really what I do. Like, people think I do a lot. I'm really just talking to those guys to figure out our next project. And, yeah. you know, that's that's my life. Like, I took that sacrifice to... to sorry, I'll take that back. I made that decision to make this big part of, like, what I wanted to do okay. in my life. So, I mean, even from girlfriends not really understanding, like, that this is what I have to do. Mm-hmm. To friends being like, oh, you never hang out or oh, you always doing this and that. Like, people don't really get it. And I, you know... It, it's sometimes frustrating, but I, I definitely understand their point of view. I think that they just don't get that in order to make it successful, you're going to have to put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. And I'm getting to the point now where I kind of, you know, can balance, you know, my life and my work and my passion project pretty well to the point where I'm not stressed and I'm not freaking out. Very dope. I, I have a couple more questions. But I know you got to head out soon. So I interviewed Malcolm Gray. From Collective Boston that's, the other day. Yes. He told me to ask you a specific question. <laughs> so if this is a crazy question, you okay. can blame him. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh so tell me about Shauna's house party in two thousand and seven. Man, um <laughs> if we're talking about the same party, J. Cole was there actually. That's when yes. I first met him. Was there. And I, I was with this dude, he's a producer, his name's Precise, but his name now he he, he kind of switched it up and now he's an artist named A Child, who's like crushing the internet with his music. Very dope. Crazy songs. Um, but me and him were running around New York. Um, I was sleeping on this couch. I kind of was just trying to soak up New York at the time. And my homegirl, Shauna, who I think was interning at Vibe, or no, she was working at Vibe at the time. I was interning at Def Jam that summer, just trying to figure out my life. And mm-hmm. she invited me to this house party in the Bronx. And, you know, me and Alejandro... Um, or Ale or a child, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> we went out there um, to the Bronx and, you know, drank, party, kicked it. Yeah. And Cole was there. And I remember I was talking about Cole to my friends. Like, all I do is talk about music. Well, not all I do, but like that crew was like a music crew. So people were like, yo, what are you listening to? And I was like, yo, I rock with this dude, J. Cole. I didn't know Cole at the time. I didn't even really know what he looked like. You know, wow! And I was talking to Cole about Cole. That's crazy. So it was just like he was like, "Yo, like that's me." <laughs> that's kind of where we first probably exchanged exchanged contact and and communicated. And, and from then on, like you know, we we've been cool. He used to send me a lot of music. He used to produce a lot of stuff that he was trying to get on other blogs, like Two Dope Boys. And because I had a relationship with some of those sites, I was kind of the, the liaison, you know. But uh, yeah, man, it was a, it was a pretty crazy house party. <laughs> um, but I, the, you know, the only thing I remember is, is making that connection with him there. Um, so yeah, I hope that answers Malcolm's question. Very dope. Yes, it does. Uh, last one before we talk about any upcoming stuff. Um, Trilecho, sure. DCBC is working on yeah. musically right now. Who's inspiring you the most? Man, I listen to a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. It's a lot of SoundCloud. 
mostly hip hop just because it's what I dig. I don't even know if you call it hip hop. I mean, these genres these days are. They're all blurred, which yeah, is beautiful. And that's the coolest thing. Like, there's a dude named Smino Brown out of St. Louis. He's really dope. Um, you know, there's a, a whole bunch of producers I listen to. There's a rapper named Wintertime. I think he's based in Florida, but from Virginia. He's really dope. Um, you know, one of my favorite artists is this rapper Key from Atlanta. He's awesome. He just makes really dope music. Uh, a lot of the Toronto artists, producers, they're killing it right now. I mean, it's a lot of SoundCloud stuff. Larry June. Um, you know, I like the emerging talent mm-hmm. more so because I feel like I can I can help like get their careers to to the point where they're like, you know, on the weekend status. Yeah. If I just kind of continue to, to preach about them and then involve them on our festival or any events we have, connect them to the right people or put people on to them. Like that's where I find the most joy. When you're already, you know, on, that's cool, but I don't think I can really do anything or help. So I focus on artists that I can. That's why I'm pretty much on SoundCloud all day. Very dope. So what are some upcoming projects that um, DCDBC is working on? Uh, man, well, I mean, we just had this uh, this lecture with Wale at Georgetown University, which was really partnered with this, uh, this I don't know what you want to call it, an entity called the Lecture Fund that brings people to, to Georgetown. And, and I kind of connected the dots between Wale's camp and Georgetown. Wow. And we did a really good job with that. It you know, went off really successfully, packed house. What was the topic? Um, it's just his journey in the music industry and the politics of that world. Um, it's streamed live on Facebook. We had my homie Jenks from Complex moderated. Uh, this dude Calvin from Georgetown um, that that I think my cousin put me in contact with a while ago. Um, that you know he, he is the guy behind the lecture the lecture fund and, and was really a big part of how that that was so successful. So you know after after having that, we want to kind of do more of those conversations with. Uh, campuses, whether it be high schools or colleges or whatever, I think that's a dope way to kind of uh, expand beyond just throwing, you know, events. Absolutely. Um, so that's something that we're trying to get into. Uh, we throw parties in D.C., New York, and L.A. Monthlies. We got this franchise called Vices that happens in, in D.C. and L.A. right now. We're trying to get it uh, started in New York. My home Greenwood and my, my man Derek is working. They're working on that right now. Um, we got actually two parties, you know, like I mentioned in DC tomorrow. Um, or one in DC, one in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, we got our festival just locked in our headliner. Uh, yesterday, shout out to Quinn for making that happen. Very dope. And you know, now you already have your headliner for Chileco. Yeah, very do. nice. I won't speak on it, but we have it. It's and, okay, and it's super lit. Um, so yeah, late August is when we're we're, we're going down. We haven't announced a date or anything yet, but now like I'm the marketing guy, so. Now the hard work comes. Now that we got this this uh, this headliner, we can start to book the rest of the festival. We can start to you know align with some of these brands and publications and and you know get these sponsors lined up so we can really have a great uh, twenty sixteen five years. Very dope. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking with me today. I really appreciate it. No problem. This was really dope. Thank you for you know asking these dope questions. I appreciate that. And then on so on Mondays the episodes drop, but we also have a thing called uh, Share Your Shit Monday, where you just <laughs> add the hashtag Share Y O and S H H like with a pic of anything you're working on, or it could be of the episode, or just something to like help people like learn and share with each other. So not necessarily like uh, something that's like perfect, but just like in terms of like progress and like the process of things. Okay. Okay. Cool, so I just cool. wanted to let you know about that. Cool. Yeah. Fair enough. Let's, let's chat so I can figure out how to contribute. Yes, we will. Thank you so much, Modi. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Shout out to Dalvin Beats and the Bad Decisions Collective for our musical tunes and Creator K and Andrea for our logos. Production and editing on today's episode were both done by myself. Please make sure to download, like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find episodes on our website, firstyearproject.com, as well as on iTunes and on SoundCloud. You can follow us on Twitter at firstyearprj, and then also feel free to visit our website at firstyearproject.com. Peace. Peace.